Welcome to episode 53 of The Process, Promise Kept. Give you all of me, what if I give you all of me? If I give you all of me, would I get all of you? If I told you I'm anointed, could you see the proof? Give my heart and soul for you when I'm inside the booth. Feel my love, feel my pain when I'm inside the booth. Would you switch a change on me if you knew the truth? Knowing I ain't the same person that was introduced. Thank the Lord, cause I don't look like what I've been through. Here's a letter to you. I'm back again. Jesus on that cross, I had to rise again. Time to get my blessings, time to get my blessings. I had to live my life, I had to learn my lessons. I had to keep that smile, but deep inside I'm stressing. Trying to keep my spirits from that deep depression. It's time to tighten up. I put my pride down and pick that Bible up. Welcome to episode 53 of The Process. I am Amante Martin. Today we have Dr. Tracy Thomas on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Thomas. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Could you tell the listeners where you're from? So <laughs> it's funny you should ask. Okay, I claim, quote unquote, Tallahassee is home. And specifically, I claim a community called Capitola, which is really on the outskirts of the the quote-unquote city of Tallahassee. And the way I describe Capitola is that it's on the other side of chairs before you get to Lloyd. (laughs) And so if you're literally, if you're traveling down Highway 27 Mm -hmm. and you come to Chairs Crossroad, the next big quote unquote intersection on 27 is going, you're gonna be in Lloyd. And so Capitola kind of sits between the two. Um, I wasn't born in Tallahassee, however. I was actually born in Rochester, New York. And my mother was pursuing her nursing degree. She and my biological father, they divorced when I was about two and a half. And my mother actually sent me back home to her parents' house. Um, by one of my uncles, with one of my uncles, and um, she stayed and finished her nursing degree. Mm -hmm. And then she too returned to Tallahassee. So I am from Capitola. As long as I lived in Tallahassee, I've never heard of Capitola. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've heard of Midway, Havana. I mean, I've never. No, no, you're going, I'm, I'm in the opposite direction. I'm in the opposite direction, but yeah, Capitola. Capitola. So what was it like growing up in Capitola for you? Oh gosh, it was awesome. Um, Contrary to what most people know, I am, and I'm proud of it, I am a true country girl. Mm -hmm. I was raised on a 40-acre farm. Um, My mother and my youngest aunt, they still live on our family property, which was purchased by my grandmother's grandparents. And so on this 40-acre farm, um, I had chickens and I had hogs, or as people would say, pigs. <laughs> and I had ducks and I had guineas. My grandmother had a pretty, sor- a pretty large garden not far from the house. Uh, my grandfather had a smokehouse. In addition, my grandfather also farmed a large portion. He planted a large portion of our property with corn. So growing up in the country, I learned lots of skills that some some um, persons my age at the time would actually learn in school in home economics class. That's the, those were classes that I never took in high school because mm-hmm. uh, those were things that I learned 
at the house. Um, the whole cooking thing, cooking without quote unquote recipes, but cooking by taste and by sight. I learned that holding on to my grandmother's apron. Um, I honestly can say I did not have canned vegetables, things of that nature, until I actually got in college. Yeah. As my grandmother grew most of our food and my grandfather raised most of the animals, um, you know, the, the meat for our house. So I loved growing up in the country. I probably make my way to my mother's house now that I actually live in Tallahassee permanently. I probably make my way to Capitola at least once a week. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's just to sit on the porch and enjoy the breeze of the air. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so growing up, you know, on the farm and as you say, country girl, did you ever want to pursue a career in agriculture? No, well, it's so funny because I didn't even think that there was such a thing. You know, mm -hmm. I, I guess I just never put it together growing up that agricultural slash farming, horticulture, that those are actual careers and occupations. Mm -hmm. um, because my, my, my grandfather actually worked for the city. So everything I saw him do at the house on the farm was extra. Mm. Uh, my grandmother did what we call what, uh, what, what was called day's work, which was somewhat similar to quote unquote maid's work, but she would work a few hours at someone's house on one day, and then it would be someone different the next day, and then someone different on the third day. And so again, coming home, then they would do these regular routines that I did not consider to be careers. Mm -hmm. um, so no, it, it wasn't a thought process. What I can say is that growing up in the country, I had a strong love and affinity towards animals, especially dogs. So I grew up not wanting to have children. I literally thought I could have puppies for a very long time. <laughs> and um, because of that, I actually grew up wanting to pursue a career um, in veterinary medicine. Mm -hmm. I really did, yeah. Wow. So, um, in terms of career, what led you to FAMU? Wow, what led me to FAMU? Well, <laughs> my mother, although she did not have the opportunity to go to FAMU, my mother is a very, very strong Rattler fan. She loves FAMU. Um, one of my uncles is an alum of FAMU, and I have several family members that have worked at FAMU. While I love FAMU, I had a project in the seventh grade, I remember, which led me to researching where I could go to veterinarian school in the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the only school that I came up with was the University of Florida. So I had my heart set on going to UF. And um, I actually, along with my best friend, Sabrina Bird and my two other very close friends, Bronwyn Bethay and Donna D. Duffy, we all decided as graduates of Lincoln High, we were heading to the University of Florida. We went down for orientation, we got our dorm assignments, we had our scholarships, we were ready. Wow. Sabrina Bird's father worked at FAMU. And this was during the time when President Humphreys was fairly new on the scene, but he believed in having as many quote unquote scholars at FAMU as he could attract. And so he invited us to a brunch 
that Sunday when my mother dropped me off at Foothill U for this brunch, only myself and Sabrina showed up. And as we sat there listening to President Humphrey give us this feel about the greatness of FAMU, we're sitting there looking like, well, you know, we're from here, so we know about FAMU, but we've got these scholarships to the University of Florida, so that's where we're going. <laughs> and when I tell you, this is when the FAMU application, of course, was still paper trifle. He pulled two out, he opened them up, and he put his signature across them, and he slid them across the table. He said, if, if you fill it out, you come to FAMU free. <laughs> and wow. while I was excited, but I also really wanted to go to the University of Florida. And so I knew when I went outside and I got in the car, my mother was waiting and told her what happened. And she, um, being the kind of mom who wants to let their child grow, her mouth said, her mouth said, <laughs> well, you know, it's your decision. <laughs> and you probably should call your Uncle Jean. Okay. And I knew then. I'm going to FAMU. I already yeah. know. And the two of them, I'm going to FAMU. And so sure enough, I called my Uncle Gene and uh, he said, yeah, you're going to FAM. <laughs> but the problem was, I'm in only, I'm technically, I'm my mother's only child. So um, I really didn't want to go to college by myself. The whole thing, I, I was going with my, my girl, my, my girl squad. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so then it was, who's going to, who's going to stay and go to FAMU with me? And Sabrina agreed but we had a deal since she would stay and go to FAMU she would get to pick the major since I picked the university she picked the major mm -hmm. and she picked pharmacy was that a tough decision you know being from Tallahassee you have a, a full ride to you up and a full ride from FAMU on the table you know was that a, a, a tough decision for you at the time it was um but the, what was funny also was that President Humphreys literally said to us, he said, I know why y'all want to go to Florida. You just want to get out your mother's houses. <laughs> and so I'm going to let you stay in the dorms free. Oh, well, now, okay. And it's very different when, um, for me, growing up in the rural country, and now I am literally 15, 20 minutes away, but it seemed so far at the time. Mm -hmm. But here I am on a college campus. And so it was it was a great experience. Um, the other beauty was that if we needed our moms, they were a phone call away. They could get to us. Mm -hmm. So quick, fast, and in a hurry. But we still had that great college experience where they were not what we call today helicopter moms. It was tough, but it wasn't that bad. Uh, it's funny because today, as I posted some pictures on Facebook during um, the faculty orientation that we were having for the returning FAMU faculty, um, I put a comment that I have, my favorite FAMU t-shirt says, FAMU changed my life. Mm -hmm. And that is, that, that's, a true, that's a true statement for me. Coming to FAMU, going to FAMU, completely changed my entire life for the better. Mm -hmm. There were many days that I couldn't see it, but now that I'm on this side of it and I look back, I can see it. And as I'm now working at FAMU, I still see it. It literally changed my life. And so that's something that I share with my students every fall semester. This place is going to change your life mm -hmm. and it's gonna be for the better.
totally agree. I, I, I have that same experience. Once you decided to go to Florida a and uh, you moved in on campus. What was it like transitioning from Capitola to FAMU? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, um, this was also during the time, you know, because I'm a little country girl. And so, um, let's see. Let me just, to put it nicely, one of the big name brands of clothing that was out at that time was Cross Colors. Do you remember that? No. Cross colors. Okay, well, cross colors were very vibrant, like overalls and um, hairstyles were different. And um, LL Cool J had a song about the roundaway girl with the bamboo earrings. Okay. <laughs> and so I was actually living, and you know, the styles were very different from what I was accustomed to. So it was great. It was great. I had girlfriends from all over the country. Chicago, California, Atlanta, DC. So it was nice for me because I grew up on a farm. And so for many, many years, some of my girlfriends, they would hear me say it, but I don't think they believed me until I actually took them to my parent, my mom and my grandparents' home. Mm -hmm. And the looks on their faces were like, oh my God, you weren't kidding. I'm like, no, this is, yes, this is it. You know, they, they yeah, so it, it was, it was wonderful to meet so many um, smart people, smart people. I went to Lincoln High School and at Lincoln at the, during that time when I was in high school, we literally had in my graduating class limited persons of color, African-Americans that were in the quote-unquote advanced classes. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, the only advanced placement course was the advanced placement English course. That was the only course available at the time. And me and my girl squad, we all tested well enough to be in this APE class. And instead of... <laughs> Instead of allowing us all to be in the same class, they split us up into four different classes. Mm -hmm. Okay, So even then, you were made to feel like you weren't on an island. Mm -hmm. um, my interactions with my friends happened at lunch and during band time. So when I got to FAMU, it's like, guess what? <laughs> Everybody here is smart. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just me sitting up in a classroom. I'm, I'm not the only person of color sitting in this classroom that's smart. Everybody in this room to my, as they say in church, look to your left, look to your right. Yeah, all of your neighbors are smart. And so it, it was, it's wonderful. It, it was absolutely wonderful. Academically, were there any challenges, you know, moving into kind of a new culture, a new, new atmosphere? Well, Initially, no. Initially, no. Um, but as I share my story, now part of my story is I came to FAMU on a presidential scholars um, scholarship, presidential scholar, and in pharmacy. And um, while I while I considered myself to be a pretty decent student, pharmacy was just not my thing. It, yeah. it really wasn't. And so I struggled. I struggled a lot. <laughs> and um, 
college was different then in that if you did not meet certain criteria, they would dismiss you. And so I found myself with an F for the first time in my life as a final grade. And I just knew that my mother was going to kill me. Okay, I, I just knew in my spirit. Um, the other thing that also sat in my mind was that I saw how hard my mother worked, two, sometimes three jobs, so that I could have. And here I had this gloom of, I have failed this woman. And so um, when I was being dismissed from the College of Pharmacy, and I had to tell my mother, it probably was one of the hardest things that I had to say to her. And she looked at me and she said, but I watched you try. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm still breathing? She didn't really? <laughs> okay. And she said, it would be different. But when I would leave at night to go to my night job, you would be up studying. And when I would come home, you would be studying. And in the afternoon, you were studying. So she was, um, she was, she was proud that I had tried. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got an F, they put me out. Wow. And then it was, okay, so what are you gonna do? Because what I did not know was that my mom had promised herself that she was gonna make sure that I had something that she didn't have, which was a four-year college degree from an accredited university. My mother went to a nursing school, which, which was not a four-year degree, but it was a nursing program only. Mm-hmm. And so she wanted for me this, this education, this college education. And so I came up with the plan that I was just a couple of classes short of having, because I'd taken so many, so many science classes, I literally was three classes away from having enough credits to get a degree in biology. And so I told her, I said, I'm going to do, I'll get a degree in biology. And she said, okay, and what are you going to do with that? Mm -hmm. So then I was like, okay, wow, wasn't expecting that. Mm -hmm. Um, My comeback was what I'd heard all the other biology students say, oh, I'm going to go to grad school. Now, that really wasn't in my heart Mm -hmm. because at this point, I've been dismissed from one program and I feel like I've caused my mother the family and my little community, some embarrassment. And here I am talking about, I'm gonna go to grad school, but I needed to say something. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of, she said, okay then. And in the midst of that year of finishing those three courses, um, Jackie Beck, the late great Jacqueline Beck, for whom the School of Health Sciences is co-named after, was serving as dean at the time and gave me the opportunity to be in her physical therapy program. Mm -hmm. And I flourished. And I made a promise to her that if she gave me a chance to be a student, that one day I would come back and I would teach in that very same program. And so that's exactly what I do right now with my life every day. <laughs> I, teach, yeah. I teach in the School of Allied Health Sciences in physical therapy. Um, so I got my PT degree because of Dean Beck allowing me to be in the program. Could you speak to how pivotal that was for your mom to, in, in some respects, not give up on you and to get another chance with another department on campus? Right. So you probably gonna make me cry. Um, whenever I think about the sacrifices that my mother made for me, I it 
it really does make me teary. Um, and so when, when I finished my PT degree, and like I said, my, my mother's a nurse, and with any health profession, usually there's a licensure exam. So it's one thing to finish the program, which is great, but you can't practice until you pass that test, okay? Mm-hmm. And so right before graduation, I was getting job offers, and this was back in 94. And um, I had my heart set on working at Archbowl in Thomasville because one, that uncle who was also a family grad, he worked in Thomasville. So I knew I'd be close to family still. And, you know, we were going to commute, me and my colleagues. And um, I had my heart set on working there and they hired me. And without, with, with, without having taken my test, And part of the package was that they were going to give me a sign-on bonus. Um, In addition to the sign-on bonus, my salary was $50,000. That Mm -hmm. that was a start in 94. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And they were going to pay for me to take the boards. If I did not pass, I would have to pay them back that money. Plus, when I take the boards again, I would have to pay out of pocket. Mm -hmm. And so I went into my board examination knowing and thinking about the sacrifices that my mother had already put out there for me. Mm-hmm. And I just could not disappoint her again. I never had what I call test anxiety before in my life, but I drove to Atlanta to take my boards and I literally had the flu. I was mm-hmm. so sick. Um, and I took my boards with my head on my desk. At the time, it was still Scantron. Mm-hmm. And I was sick, but as soon as it was over, I felt better. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that I'd pass, but I physically felt better. Relief, yeah. Yeah, I felt some relief, like, okay, it's over. And so I continued to still work at the hospital pending the results of my exam, and I passed. Wow. And I passed. And so, you know, she was very proud and, you know, that kind of thing. And um, my mother still tells me, I just want you to have a life where you can go see the world that I that I did not get a chance to see. I want you to be able to do the things that you want to do um, when you want to do them. Okay, and so she she was very proud. Now the thing about Mac Duval, Miss mm, Du, as some of the nurses that she has worked with call her, my mother. I know this now because I'm I'm approaching 52. But at that time in my life, I had no clue that she was proud of me. Mm-hmm. Because my mother, she, she was never one to say, I'm so proud of you because you have done da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Um, I only learned it later when I would run into persons and they would say, oh, your mom is so proud of you. And I'm going, we talking about the same woman? <laughs> because she never, and so I, I I said that to her as a grown woman. I said, you know, you never told me. She said, well, I never wanted you, one, to think that you were better than other people. I never wanted you to, two, stop pushing. I never wanted you to become complacent. Okay. So I wanted you to always to be thirsty and to want for the next thing. And she told me she felt that if she had coded me with oh I'm just so proud of you that that would have been enough 
She, you know, your mother knows you better than anybody else. Oh, okay? yeah. So my mother knows part of my driving force of my success is, God, what can I do today to make my mother proud? Mm-hmm. When I am doing my morning devotionals, things give me opportunities to serve you, Lord, and make my mother proud. Okay. That's literally what I kind of live for. What can I do to make my mother proud? Wow. That's mm-hmm. a blessing. That's a blessing. I want to, I want to ask, you know, being on the other side now as a professor at Florida and how does it feel to be able to pour back into students where you want set? Oh my gosh. So <laughs> my students will tell you, I cry at the end of every semester and I cry because I know that they are just one step closer, that they are yet another step closer to their destination. And I cry because I thank God that he's used me or allowed me to be a tool in assisting them to get to that destination. Mm -hmm. Um, So in May, 18 of my students just recently sat and took their board examination. Mm -hmm. And those 18 students are now licensed the first time around. Wow. And so when um, I get very, very excited, and I tell them at graduation, I tell them day one when they come into our program, I and the faculty, we need 34 months of your life. You give us 34 months. And we know sometimes it's gonna seem like we don't know what we're talking about. We get it, but we're not here to be your friends. We're here to make, to help you become physical therapists. Um, and so you might not give me the best reviews at the end of my courses. And when you graduate, I'm gonna be there taking pictures and I'm gonna say, yay, good job, but I'm not going to truly celebrate until you tell me that you got a license. When you get a license, then Dr. Thomas has done her job. And so literally, when the license start coming in, the text messages come in. Dr. Thomas, and they they will send you a screenshot, I passed, or I couldn't have done it without you, and thank you so much for not giving up on me. And, And every single time, I look up and I say, Dean Beck, I'm keeping my promise, okay? because I promised her that this is what I was gonna do. And so I, I thank God for the opportunity that he allows me to do that. In a, in a way you manifested this and he's using you to do it. And that's that's a blessing. Yeah, God, um, God, is, God is awesome. He is absolutely awesome. <laughs> this podcast is called The Process Podcast. I wanna know, you know, through your career, through your academic career and where you are now, what does trusting the process mean to you? Trusting the process. Okay, so mm, it's funny you should ask me this. Um, on last year, I was honored by the city to be one of the 25 women to know. And in that honor, I had to do a little snippet of an interview. I think you can probably still find it um, through the news website. But I remember them asking me about the advice that I would give to my younger self or to a young woman coming up. Mm -hmm. And so the things that I said, there were four things. Um, Number one, trust yourself. Yeah, you gotta trust yourself. Um, Number two, you gotta trust the process. You gotta trust God. Mm -hmm. 
And you gotta believe and understand that your failures are never final. So when I say trust yourself and trust the process, trust yourself enough to know that you have just as there's a poem by um, Edgar A. Guest called Equip. And in that poem, he literally says, you have everything you need already in you. You've already got it. And that no matter what you see somebody else have and how they have success, you too have all of those same things inside of you. But you've got to trust and believe that they're in you. Mm-hmm. Okay. The process, when it comes to trusting the process, you got to know that you're going to fail. But the failures don't mean that it's over. Sometimes the failures happen just to get you on the next path of where you're supposed to go. I probably could have petitioned and appealed being dismissed from the College of Pharmacy. I probably could have, right? And two things could have happened. One, they could have eventually let me back in. Or two, they still may have said no. Either way, time is being wasted. So I didn't, I didn't get my PharmD degree. I got a bachelor's in physical therapy. I turned around and in, on August the 8th of 08, eight is the number of new beginnings. Mm-hmm. I got my PhD in pharmaceutical sciences with emphasis in cardiovascular pharmacology and toxicology from the same school that I had been dismissed from. I don't have a master's in anything. Tiffany Wilson Artley convinced me to apply to get my master's. I applied and got accepted. But in the midst of that, my PhD professor, Dr. Maurice Holder said, you need to get this PhD. And he petitioned the graduate council and they let me. So I don't have a master's in anything. When I prayed about going back to school for God to make a way for me, this, all of this is the process. So you gotta, you gotta trust and believe the process. Mm-hmm. I was a traveling physical therapist in, in Illinois and I was watching Oprah and it was an aha moment. And my, when I talked to my mother, she said, call your uncle. And I called my uncle. He said, well, what is the plan? And I told him, I got to get back in school so I can teach. And he said, well, pray about it. And when I tell you that my prayer was as simple as God is me again. And I need to go back to school because I'm really supposed to be a teacher. And uh, by the way, I don't have no money. So... I need you to find a way for that to be paid for. And why you at it, God? Because I believe, I, I believe, mm-hmm. I also need to get paid to go to school too. And anything else you can throw in there, I'm open for that as well. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and so when I tell you that I got that degree and I walked across that stage not owing a single red cent, I got my PhD by the grace of the good Lord. That's the process. 
What I did not know in getting my PhD, now Dr. Holder said to me, he said, if you get your PhD, you'll never have to go back to school again. I said, okay. Now granted, the man had sent me to live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota for three years where I was doing heart surgeries on rats and hamsters. But all of this was part of my process. And so every day I was trusting and I was believing that, that I was gonna see what the end was going to be as the old, old song says, right? <laughs> okay, and so when I got my, when I was just about finished with my PhD, I said, well, I've been a career student all my life. Let me call and see what else is out there. Now, I started calling physical therapy programs to see, think about, hmm, where do, where, I wanna be an adjunct, where do I wanna, and every program I called, they said, wait a minute, you're all but defense? Yes. You wanna come work for us? because every physical therapy program by that time had moved to a doctoral level. And guess what else? They all had a class called pharmacology. Mm. And then I was told that there were only five physical therapists in the country who had credentials in pharmacology. And I happened to be one of the five. And I took my first teaching job at Alabama State in Montgomery. I continued to live in Tallahassee. So on Monday mornings at three o'clock, I would drive to Montgomery for my eight o'clock class. And on Thursday nights, I would drive back to Tallahassee where I work in the rehab centers here. And if I wasn't working, I was doing service with the Order of the Eastern Star. I did that for six years because it was part of my process. Mm. And when FAMU contacted me to, to come home, I was like, it's time to go home. But right before I left Montgomery, I was having, I, I had a talk with um, the late Dr. Linda Woodruff. She's a pillar when it comes to African-Americans in physical therapy. And we were talking about my PH and D credentials as she would tease me. And um, I remember getting ready to walk away from her. And as I was walking down the hall, I heard her say, you know, Dr. Thomas, if you went and got that doctorate of physical therapy degree, you'd be the only one in the country. And I stopped in my tracks in the hallway and I looked back and she had gone in her office. And I was like, hmm, it's amazing how people can plant seeds for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so on Mother's Day last year, I got my, my second doctorate degree. And um, I came home and I presented, presented that to my mother as, as a gift, okay? And so again, the process, the process. When, it, when I got to the point where I was willing to accept that I had everything in me that I needed, and that I needed to trust myself, trust God, and to see the process through, it doesn't matter anymore what kind of quote unquote failure comes my way. I know that none of my failures are my final destination. There is always more. There's always something else. And so no matter how bad it gets, and I'm not talking about academics, I'm talking about relationships, be it um, your personal, personal relationships with a significant other, family, friends, whomever, no matter how things get in your life, no matter how bad it seems, 
there's still more. There's still something else. And you just cannot give up. That, that's the key. You can't give up. I have a lot of rough days. At the end of my days, I'm like, well, look here, Lord. How did I do today? And I have a self-assessment. And the next morning, I thank him for, for another opportunity to try to get it right. But the most important thing is understanding that all of it, each and every day, each and every encounter I make with people, it's part of my process. It's part of my spiritual, mental process. So Dr. Thomas, I want to thank you so much for, you know, explaining your story to us and, and, and letting us know that detours aren't roadblocks. You know what I mean? That we have an assignment, we have a purpose, but sometimes that those failures may come in, into our life, not to stop us, but to direct us in another path. And so I wanna thank you for you know being so transparent with us. Uh, do you have any lasting words that you wanna leave with the listeners? Yes, I do. Um, find those things that yet motivate you when you were down, okay? When you feel like you wanna tap out or count yourself out, I don't care if it's a phrase, it can be a scripture, um, it can be a poem, and, and it can be several things. For me, I like poetry. And I also, I like music, but a lot of times I like the lyrics of the songs. And I shared early, I'm a country girl, so there's a song by a country singer, Tim McGraw, and then the song is called, How Bad Do You Want It, okay? And the chorus of it, he literally says, are you eating, sleeping, thinking with that one thing on your mind? Because when you, when you have something like that in your spirit, then you will fight and make that thing come to fruition. Um, there's a paraphrase, paraphrase quote by W.E.B. Du Bois that says that there is no force more powerful than a woman determined to rise. So no matter how people push me down, I have the determination that I'm gonna get up, that I'm gonna get up. I shared earlier a poem about, um, from um, Edgar A. Guess, um, but the first poem I learned, from, learned of him was, it couldn't be done because I would hear my good friend, attorney Ben Crump recite it all the time and I had to learn it. And then I started hearing Dr. Ossiefield Anderson say different poems in class. And one of the poems that I have that um, Dr. Ossiefield Anderson would say to us in Calculus 2 um, is by R.L. Sharp. And it literally says, isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common people like you and me are the builders of eternity. Each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mask, and a book of rules, and each must make his air life as flown a stumbling block or a stepping stone. And so that poem, I give it to my students in the fall semester when they start, because I want them to understand, you have this bag and you are putting in these life tools to get you through anything that comes your way. And at the end of the day, no matter what comes to you, you can take a mask and you have the power to shape that mask that it's either gonna elevate you as a stepping stone 
or it's gonna cause you to trip up and fall down. But you have the power because you have the bag of tools. Those are my words. Where could the listeners reach out you know, to you for you know, motivation or if they're needing advice to pursue a career in PT? So to reach me, um, it, it's ironic, uh, as of 8.45, the email came out from the office of my dean, Dr. Cynthia Hughes-Harris. I'm gonna be serving as the interim director for the Doctor of Physical Therapy program at my beloved alma mater, the greatest of all, on the highest of the seven hills at FAMU. <laughs> and I can easily be reached um, by email. My name is T-R-A-C-Y dot thomas t-h-o-m-a-s at f-a-m-u dot e-d-u um, however from the first day i started teaching i've always given students my personal my personal phone number to where they can call me or text me and when i say my students i'm talking about students who want to come to famu students who are at FAMU, students who are currently in my program, but my phone number, 850-519-0393. Again, 850-519-0393. This episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel a flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth. Overcome. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. Right? You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.